When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, all you fine people out there. Thank you for checking out the Performance Anxiety Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark, and my guests today are Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock of Bonham Bullock. We talk about their musical histories, including the influence Deborah's brother, the legendary John Bonham, had on her life. Deborah explains the 16-year gap between her first two albums, working with Paul Rogers and Robert Plant's Continual Guidance. In fact, his ringtone on Deborah's phone is cashmere, by the way. They tell me how they started both their personal and professional relationships, and they also tell me how they became Paul Rogers' band for his Free Spirit tour, and how Peter found himself at Led Zeppelin's secret reunion rehearsals. Their new album of interpretations spans seven decades of music. Pick it up now in all the usual places. Follow Peter, Deborah, and the band on all the social media platforms. Follow us at Performance ANX there as well. You show us some support with a review or a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Merch is available at performanceanx.threadless.com. And now let's get right into it with Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. This, this is Peter Bullock. And this is Deborah Bonham. This is Deborah Bonham. Who? Peter has trouble paying attention. Get away. Okay, let's do this now, okay? 
Peter has trouble paying for beers. Hey, come on. Yeah, we're supposed to be going to the pub as well, so come on. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. this is Bobby Peter. Thank you very much for tuning in. See ya! <laughs> magic words. The magic words. Okay, go on then. Hi, I'm Deborah Bonham. I'm Peter Bullock, and we've got a new album, Bonham Bullock, coming at you through the airwaves. So on Quarter Valley Records, and you're listening to us on Performance Anxiety Podcast. So is it just you, or is Peter going to be joining in later? Uh, Peter is going to join in. Okay, Uh, I'm just shouting, hey! (laughs) 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 We've had a bit of a morning racing around, so we've just managed to jump in the shower and run to this. It's like, oh my God, we're trying to, the password didn't work because I wasn't typing it in properly, you know. It's like, cool. And then I noticed it said anxiety podcast. And yes. I thought, yeah, we're all like this. You That's know? <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a lot of comments on that one. Here you go, Pete. Well, hello. Hey. Oh, all right. Why have you got a guitar with you? I'm, put, I'm putting it on the roof. It's pretty... <laughs> oh. Oh, the roof of what? The roof of the house while the scaffold's up. I don't understand. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to, we've got some scaffold up on our roof where our chimney fell down in the storm. Oh. So I'm going up there. So I'm going up there for a pose with the guitar. Oh. Nice. <laughs> that is gorgeous. Oh, I'm I jealous. It's all been going on this morning. The what? regular quiet Sunday morning in our house, not. Oh, <laughs> Man, I, you know, I woke up and just ran through the album one more time, took some more notes, and the, that's been my morning. So I get a little more, a little calmer than yours. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, I hope you didn't ruin your morning for you. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. I like starting it off that way. It, it's a little anxiety building for me whenever I get, you know, no matter who I'm listening to, because I'm always, I, I try to do as much research as I can. And then I would just sit there and I'm like, I know I'm missing something that I wanted to talk about. I know it. I just, and I, I make myself anxious doing this stupid podcast. So. Hence the name. Yeah. Performance anxiety podcast. It, yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically my anxiety <laughs> and not having anything to do with my guests. So. Just couldn't the, even get the password incorrectly. I kept, you kept saying incorrect password. I kept missing something. Oh, it was a little deliberate trick there on the, on your part, wasn't it, Mark? Well, it, it, no, no, it was my bad typing. <laughs> not capitals and non-capitals. Let's so. get the audience anyway. really anxious and give them the wrong password. Exactly, yes. that's the plan. I'm just going to take one of the password letters. I'm going to switch it from caps to lowercase, and then you guys got to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my new plan from now on. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> Don't listen to him. You will only end up in bad ways. Let me yeah. tell you that, Mark. Yeah. Do not listen to this man. You will end up in a bad way. Oh. Take it from me. <laughs> it happened to me. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, in a bad place to be. No, hey, you know, it's been what, 30 years? 32 years? 31, 32 years? 31 years, yeah. Of hell. Yeah. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> You've been hell. I've been an absolute angel. Hey, yeah, she's absolutely. You know, my wife would say the same thing. We're twenty. We'll be married twenty-one this year, twenty-two together. So she we're the same. The same aren't we? Yeah, we're the same. Twenty-one years married. Yeah. Well, congratulations oh, on that. Well, uh, the way I like to start things off usually is to point, is finding out about and, and talking about your backgrounds and how you got into 
music to get to where you are right now. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of these questions I'm going to ask, it's going to be for both of you to answer. So, you know, don't just chime in however you want. Um, but yeah. I will start off with the obvious Deborah. You yeah. have an, inc- an amazingly creatively talented family. I mean, you know, obviously your brother, John, one of the greatest drummers of all time. You also had a brother, Michael, who was a very talented photographer and DJ. Was, was there a lot of creativity in the house? Were your parents doing a lot of creative things with you guys, with music, uh, art? No, I mean, my, my dad was a, a master craftsman, um, a master builder, but his, his big thing was woodwork. So he was very creative with woodwork, definitely. And he was a master at it. My mom wanted to be a comedy musical star in her 20s. Oh, you know, wow. Well, but she always wanted to do that, but she never did. She got married and had the had the kids. You know, she made her first album when she was eighty. Wow! Um, she joined a band when she was eighty called the Zimmers. Oh, that and, is awesome! Uh, <laughs> we we took her to a studio and uh, she recorded "Let It Be," and um, we were rocking. And she, um, yeah, so she always had that in her, you know. That is um, amazing. But besides that, it was really, uh, they always played great music, you know, from the very, as early as I can remember, and certainly for John when he was growing up before I was born, because I'm 14 years younger than him. Right. And 12 years younger than Michael. So they were very close. So um, when they were growing up, um, Mom and Dad were always playing things like Benny Goodman and uh, Glenn Miller, so the big bands, but but all the blues stuff as well. Okay. There was a lot of Sarah Vaughan and uh, Billy Holiday and all of that sort of stuff. So um, so they they grew up with that, listening to that sort of music, and and I did too. So I guess yeah, music was always in there. Okay. Uh, my mom was a Frank Sinatra fan. My oh. dad, Lena Horn, and all of those as well. So, you know, it was a constant thing. So I guess, yeah, it, there was that sort of creativity. But they weren't particularly musical themselves until, of course, mom was eighty, and then <laughs> she she did her. You know, before her life ended, she had one little go. <laughs> oh, that is—is is that available anywhere, or is that just for the family? Oh yeah, no, it, it was it available. Was, it was on release, and. Uh... I'm wondering if I'm going to, I'm going to do a little search. So it must be able to stream it because they did release the album. So it, it will be out there. Yeah. I, I can send you a link afterwards. And I think it was all done for something like um, Alzheimer's or, um, you know, age, age, age concern. concern. Age concern. Done. It was done for the charity age concern. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by better help. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. 
Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with the stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Try doing that in person. So join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And a special offer to Performance Anxiety listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. That's betterhelp.com slash performanceanxiety. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. There was, um, uh, you know, quite a few of them, and they were all ranged between 70, and I think the eldest was about 90. Wow. Um, they got a bit of, you know, they got some uh, head, headlines in the uh, press. Of course, of course, nowadays, real rock stars are 70, aren't they? Yeah. I know, that was funny. I know, I know, that's uh, very funny. I know. She anyway, could have been the opening but, act for the Rolling Stones upcoming tour. Here's an upstart band. She didn't, you know, she wasn't, she didn't, she wasn't going to do it. And um, I said to her, you've wanted to sing all your life. So here's your chance. Oh. So come on. So we went in the studio and I held her hand and she sang at the mic, you know, and it was, it was great. Yeah. It was oh. She became a believer after that, didn't she? <laughs> and I was no living with her. I tell you. <laughs> Although she she did get she did get me the gig of the guitar solo on the song. She did. She, she told the producer, "I want I want my Petey to do the solo for this." Oh. <laughs> I want my Petey on the solo. <laughs> yeah. But it's great because uh, let, "Let It Be" is a great guitar solo, isn't it? From yeah. the from the original Beatles solo, it was, a, it was a beautiful melodic guitar solo which I grew up with anyway. So that was great fun to play. That is awesome. Oh, right. so Peter, how did, how did just just did it pretty much like George Harrison? That, that so it's like. No need, no need to change it. It was great as it was. Exactly. You don't have to embellish too much with that. So, yeah. so Peter, what about you? How did you get into music? Was there a lot of it growing up in, in your household? It, it was uh, like the old vinyl singles lying around that were my mother's and things like that. And then uh, babysitters. You know, my parents would go out a couple of times a week and in would come an aunt, you know, like a younger, uh, my mum's younger sisters or her younger brother, who's my uncle, uh, three years older than me. So we, we started exploring all their old records because uh, we didn't have any of our own. So uh, it was uh, every, everything from the Beatles to the Stones and even Roy Orbison and uh, oh, like yeah. Dwayne Eddy and the Shadows. And, but uh, the, uh, the the one that uh, sort of got me with it, like the three and uh, Bad Company, whenever they, they had those kind of things. Oh, yeah. And then we were on. And then we got our first guitars when I was about eight years old. And you said we. Sorry, you, my uncle Paul. Yeah, yeah you've yeah, got to talk yeah. about Uncle Paul. <laughs> yeah, so he, was, he sadly passed away, but oh, yeah, sorry. Uncle Paul. Yeah, he died about three years ago. But He's only uh, a couple of years older than Pete, so a bit, 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 bit like Jason and myself. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, uh, so we got guitars and we'd copy the records on our guitars and work them out, and he'd help me work the stuff out. So it's just put, playing the record, you know, putting the needle back on again, listen to it again, then back on again, then then just for the guitar solo a bit, then trying to copy. So, so years of that as a child, it was good fun. That's All a real effort. Records. 
Yeah, it's a real effort to do that. You got to be dedicated. You can't just, you know, go to Google and pull up some tabs and look at it. Yeah, but now that you couldn't do any of that, you had to do it all yourself. You had to work it out for yourself. Yeah, that's some dedication. See, yeah, but it meant you'd... Well, the thing was, if you're rubbish at football and you didn't get picked for the team, you'd just play guitar. You know? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Debra, was singing always your forte, or did you try to pick up an instrument at any point? No, it was always singing. Okay. Singing. Well, I mean, I, I sort of... Um, I can sort of find my way around a keyboard in chords when I'm writing my songs yeah. and, and just about, I can't do bar chords. I, I, my fingers just won't do a bar chord <laughs> on, a, on a guitar. <laughs> so I've got you know, the regular, and I find a note and the, the two couple of notes I say to Pete, what's that chord, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, I do it by ear. I'm not very good at all. And occasionally I have to play live on stage on acoustic on some of the songs. I dread it. I feel, it's the performance anxiety, you see. It- Yep. I know the song's coming up and I've got to put this damn guitar on and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> but it's okay. It's, but, it's um, everybody. It's always been singing, yeah. Even uh, when I was little. Um, I used to, we had a, a reel-to-reel um, that you re- could record on. And um, I I just kept playing Chuck Berry's My Dingling and I used to sing it into the, I know. I used to <laughs> sing it. I'd forgotten about this. I mean, but I've remembered it the other day it triggered a memory there was that and the raggle taggle gypsies i used to play that that oh that was a great song the raggle taggle gypsies oh, so, no no i'm not going <laughs> the raggle taggle gypsies interpret it uh, yeah. anyway so i was about that was done with respect wasn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> an old folk rhyme thing you know so that was about when i was six six years old and i had this oh folk sorry folk um i had this you know my my dad had got me this i think well i think it was michael's actually my brother's and i I, so i've always been singing always and then at school i just naturally progressed and i used to represent the school and do competitions and then ended up doing a bit of opera and this that and the other so it was a was a folk off by this stage You know, you know, this is what I live with. It's just I, nonstop I chuckles. Cough in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, Deborah, Peter talked about some of his influences. You know, you were what four when John started playing with a band of Joy and Tim Rose and all, or so, and and yeah. six when Zeppelin so, formed. Yeah. So, yeah. Was that did that creep in, or was that like, oh, that's my brother's thing? I don't want to. I'm not going to bother with that. Or, or was was his music, like Zeppelin and, and Band of Joy and all that, was that a, an influence on you? Oh, wow, yeah. I mean, I used to have my little little girlfriends when I was about seven or eight come around to the house, and I used to put on Dazed and Confused. And when it, <laughs> seven or eight. I used to go, right, dance now. We'd all be going, da, 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 da. <laughs> this man was you know so yeah oh crikey yeah i mean i drive him mad with it i'm i'm i am you know i'm a huge Zeppelin fan of course i am and i'm just very lucky that i always say this that you know my brother was just the greatest and and led zeppelin 
I mean, he could have been in a real rubbish band, and what would that have been yeah. like? <laughs> he could have, he could have stayed with Tim Rose. That would who, who? <laughs> they could have been. It could have been a drummer in an absolute pants band, and you know, Tiny it was, Tim. It was Led Zeppelin. The drummer in uh, Tiptoe Through the Tulips. <laughs> yeah. Did he ever have a drummer? <laughs> See, I can't even. You, know, you can imagine that. It's like it's. A, so um, I was incredibly fortunate that. You know, it, it, he really was incredible, and the band were just phenomenal. And I have loved them from the minute I heard them. So yeah, of course it's crept in. It's 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 been my marker all the way through my life. I guess you know they set the bar so high that you know I always measure what we're what we're doing. You know, I, I don't compare. I don't. I don't even try to get to that level. But but I always think that's the marker, and that's what you've got to try to achieve. That's that brilliance of music and that yeah. brilliance of, of uh, musicianship. And, and we're still working on it with Pete, but we're getting there. <laughs> oh, man. I see, I see how this, was, this is going to go. All right. <laughs> it's yeah. a feisty Sunday morning. <laughs> You've already had your chimney I'm fall a, down. I'm a master. I'm a master of sitting, sitting at the bar. <laughs> you made... oh, set, set the bar sitting setting the bar oh right not sitting you, at the you, bar you, you, hey you uh, do sit at the bar well both <laughs> as long as there's a bar involved i'm good yeah I don't well, i don't mind did either of you take lessons growing up for for guitar I, or singing i had um uh, vocal coaching definitely when i was in you know sort of like 13 onwards Okay. Um, I had a teacher called Mrs. Pullen at school, and um, she she was fantastic. She taught me to sing from the diaphragm instead of at the throat. I never um, understood that. That every singer I've had says something like that, and I'm like, I don't even know where the hell that is. What What am I? It's coming from that. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing, and you know, uh, it, it's it's. I think you either can do it or 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 you're me. I don't me. know. I don't, even know if it's something that can be taught but what she would do with me was various um exercises when i was young so i sort of learned how to deep it down you know and, and, and find that that space okay she was great and she wasn't a specialist it was just the, the music teacher at our school but she she took a particular interest in me which was great she was so lovely to me and and i loved it i loved singing so i used to do uh, you know like lunch times i'd go and have a lesson with her, you know, or she, we'd do some stuff. It was all opera, which was quite funny. Oh, wow. I know. And I, you know what? I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. But, you know, rock and roll was always in my heart and oh, spirit. So it's in your it family. Was gonna, you know? yeah. So, Peter, what about you? Did, you? did you end up taking lessons or are you self taught? Uh, no, I never took any lessons, and apparently it can be uh, heard in my style. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was waiting no, for it. You know what? It's, it's <laughs> great that you I, didn't. I, I can see the wheels turning. That. Yeah, like, I know. I was like, uh, <laughs> no, no, they, they, I, I avoided lessons of any sort for anything, whether it was music or And it's not, it's not just <laughs> You can't teach feel you see. No, you, you exactly. can't you can teach all the chords and you can get players that are absolutely spot on and the, the notes and everything is great but if you haven't got the soul there whereas p can play one note and it it just gets you yeah and you can't that isn't you can't teach that that's got to come from inside somewhere you know so yeah. i'm not sure about being formally taught as a guitarist would be a bit odd wouldn't it 
uh, you're in danger of sounding like your teacher. Yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, it does help to know a few of the chords, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I could have done with a bit of help. <laughs> Let me just do, some, you know, the the stress, the stress chicken foot, and all that kind of oh, stuff, yeah. and all the yeah, we get them all sorts of names. At point. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the police are still trying to teach me how to drive under the speed limit. So oh. I, mean, I, so I just don't call anything. I know that one too. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you guys? Uh, yeah. How old were you guys when you started gigging and, and playing out in front of people? Well, for, for me, it was about 13 years old. Wow. We had a, we, there'd be a school disco every couple of months or something on a Friday night. And, school disco. Yeah, no, school <laughs> disco. And we'd persuade them to give us a band slot, you know, so we'd... Uh, and, of course, that would have been about 1977, so that punk was starting to creep in as well. So, so we, yeah. And we didn't separate music. We, we were going straight from, like, heavy rock, blues... And including punk as well, because we had a, we quite a bit uh, in Belfast in Ireland. We had quite a punk movement with bands like Stiff Little Fingers and the Undertones and Teenage yeah. Kicks and all that kind of stuff. So, so we we throw uh, you know Teenage Kicks right in there with Black Sabbath, Paranoid, oh, you know, wow. and then uh, and then followed by Smoke and Water, then uh, Suspect Device by the Stiff Little Fingers and Sex Pistols, and then back to another Deep Purple song or another. Wow. We had no idea that you were supposed to group music into some sort of category. So we were just uh, Hendrix to the Pistols to yeah. anything goes. Yeah. It's just whatever hit you. That's quite cool. Yeah. So Deborah, how about you? When did you start playing out in front of people live and in person? Um, older than that. Um, I, I mean, I didn't really start going into my own music and you know, away from school. I stayed on till, at school till 18. And so it wasn't just after, it was probably just after John had passed away because he, he passed away when I was 18. So <laughs> it was a little bit after that, I'm guessing. Okay. And yeah, I was, uh, Jason and I got together and we went over to Robert Plant's because he lived in the next sort of village and we went over to his um, little studio in, uh, in, the, in his barn and had a go because I just said, I just want to have a go to see if I, you know, I can do this. And yeah. and it was him who basically said, you know, you need to get out and, you know, pay your dues, really, get get on the stage, so put a band together. And um, Jason Jason then went off to do his motocross because he was very young then. He was about 14, 15. Oh, wow. 15. He was about 15, yeah. <laughs> so he, he decided he wasn't going to quite, he didn't want to join the band at that point, which... Um, was fine, and so I got together with another, you know, a few local people in uh, around our village, and um, and off we went. Started playing gigs, and that was it. And then it just progressed and progressed. And then I met uh, Pete at a wedding. Um, I was a friend of the, the groom. He was a friend of the bride, and uh, he was the band for the wedding party. That was their gift to the, the bride. Oh, awesome! And the groom, groom said to me, "You know, he, he was from New York, and uh, he he said, you know, Deb, are you gonna are you gonna get out and sing with them?'" And I went, "Well, you know, if the band are okay, yeah, yeah, okay with me doing that." Yeah. So I got up, and, um, and that was it, wasn't it? Yeah. That was the end of that. So. Uh, <laughs> Goodbye, freedom. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> that was that avenue you were close off? It was. It was totally close off for you from that moment on, wasn't it? Yeah. So, Deborah, was, was it... I playing the right notes after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going away with playing whatever I wanted up until then. Hey, yep. It's all over after that. Yeah. yeah. I know, honestly, that was it. It really was 31 years ago, and we've been together 24-7 ever since, so... 
Was there any concern about going into music as a profession from your family after John's passing? Oh, crikey, yeah. I mean, there was concern before John passed. I mean, I I remember talking to him about it, and he really wasn't best pleased with me, you know. Uh, I said, well, I really really want to be a singer, you know. And um, he was like, "Mm, no. (laughs) He wanted me to... Mom and mom and uh, dad and, and my brother Michael and John. I mean, they all just wanted me to do well at school, which was which was great because they were right. You know, that was a good thing to do. Yeah. But John had seen quite an unsavory side of the business, you know, and it wasn't a great place for women back then. I mean, it really wasn't. No. It was damn tough. I am just about to. Uh, I was about to watch it last night, but I'm going to watch it tonight. I didn't have time last night, but there's a film out about um, Helen Reddy. And the misogyny that she came up against back in the in the sixties, you know, and it, really in the seventies, it was still there. I mean, it was, and when I did my first album in the eighties, it was really tough. I mean, it's not, it wasn't great for women. You, it, it was hard, and I think John knew that because he knew Maggie Bell really well, who's one of my absolute vocal heroes with the Stoner Crows, you know. Yeah, yeah. And Maggie went on. She went on to sign with Swan Song, which was the Led Zeppelin label, and make a phenomenal album. Suicide Cell was just absolutely one of the greatest albums for me growing up. Great album, check that one out. Oh great yeah, album. really great. She was just and, and she was winning. She was winning. You know, she was the female vocalist in the UK, winning awards. You know, she was at the Zeppelin with Zeppelin at the awards for the Melody Maker. And I've had long talks with her about you know exactly what it was like for her back then oh, and it, wow. it wasn't pretty so john knew so john was really like I, I i don't think you should do this i think he thought i was going to be a vet or a lawyer probably a, you know that would have been a good uh, we've got so many animals that being a vet yeah. might have been a good idea <laughs> is that one reason why you waited so long to do an album and uh, wait till 85 yes. yeah yeah I, I mean i wasn't sure and then when he died the, the world fell apart you know so uh, I, I, you know, I was lost for quite a while. I, you know, the whole family was totally in a dark place. So, you know, I, it, I didn't naturally just go, I'm going to go and do this. But you can't, you know, you can't hold down what's in you. It, it's in me and it always has been. And so it was obvious that I was eventually going to, to find my way somehow. But it's been a tough path, you know, a real tough path. Because to find your way, A, as a woman, and B is the sister of one of the, the greatest living drummers in one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. And to want to do it your way and not keep being told, you know. I mean, I had so many offers to to do like a Led Zeppelin covers band or to do or to wow, re- record labels wanting me to do Led Zeppelin songs and, you know, in a disco version or this. And I was just inundated with this crap. And Disco I, version wasn't my idea. No. <laughs> the Irish disco I, version. I just thought, you know, it was it was hard carving the path. And, you know, at this late stage now, I feel I've eventually got there. Yeah. You know, I've really, really made the album I wanted to make. And I've produced the album I wanted to produce with the band I want to play in. And I think that that... Yeah, it's it's been a rough road, but it's been a great road. You so, know, I'm glad it went that way. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. 
how was the experience making your first album? Did you get any advice? I mean, it sounds like you know you've been friends with Robert Plant for years. Uh, but when For You and the Moon came out, did he have advice for you? Did did any of the other members no. reach out or anything? No, no. I I went and did it. I I, I did it on my own. I, I mean, Robert did say to me in the beginning, you know, what are you going to do? if you want to go and do this, what are you going to do about the name? And I went, what do you mean about the name? He said, I think you're going to come up with some, come up against some uh, problems. And he would go, of course he was right. Absolutely. Yeah. On the money. But I just felt it's my name and it will come out. Even if I change it, it's yeah. going to come out. And I'm proud of my name. You know, I'm, I'm so proud of what John achieved and what Led Zeppelin achieved. Of course. yeah. But it's all my dad's name, my parents and my grandparents, you know, and if I can't do that name proud myself, if I can't, well, you know, if I can't come up to the mark, so to speak, then I've got no right being in the industry anyway. So I just thought, well, it's down to me to prove that I can do this. So I did send out the original demos anonymously. Okay. And then I got, I got the deal based on that. You know, I got a phone call um, and I got the career deal anonymously wow. but of course once we once you know it came to the you know the contracts and everything and of course it came out it had to come out yeah and then it would all go a bit pear-shaped and you know it just all became about that and <laughs> and yeah. and, it, and of course it was always going to so now later on in my life now i've realized that yeah it's always that's there it's a part of me Led Zeppelin and John are a big part of me, but it's not all of me. Right. But now, now I can embrace it and talk about it, and and it's fine. But then it it just got everybody always wanted to keep knowing the bad, you know, all the all those tiresome stories that have just been done to death over all the years. Exactly. So I did find it difficult, but I, um, I'll tell you what, though, I was able to track down uh, the song "Hungry Night." That, yeah. Okay, so that's really wild because it, it sounds like it could be off of like Robert, one of Robert Plant's early albums, you know, like Shaken and Stirred. Mine was first. Mine was first. It, <laughs> oh, hey, but then you've got this crazy ass guitar oh, no, solo. No, 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 oh, no. Can we make it that mine was first? I'm going to rewrite history here. There you go. Hey, that's what podcasts are all about. <laughs> but the song it's got this it sounds like a mid-80s album you know it's got the the guitar sound it sounds like um like maybe like robbie blunt or, or somebody playing guitar it's got that tone to it but then this wild ass distorted crazy guitar solo comes in it's so wild i love that kind of stuff Mark, that it's not a great deal to do with me on that album. I mean, the record company basically took me out to Germany, and but you I, wrote half the songs. Yeah, but I didn't really, you know, they were they were written very differently to how they ended up. They, it was all oh. produced by a guy called Reiner Pertner, 
um, who's a great guy, you know, really, really good guy. And there's Tony Carey from Rainbow. Rainbow. Richie Blackwell's Rainbow. Oh, he okay. Was, he had some sort of part ownership of the studio that we were at, so he got involved as well. He was a, he was a great guy. I mean, he's an amazing, amazing uh, a musician. But I didn't really, I was like a bit of a fish out of water because I was very much, my songs were sort of a bit folky, a bit Joni Mitchell cross, going into a bit of Fleetwood Mac. It was all around that sort of, you know, but it was all a bit rooted. I was always rooted in blues, Mm -hmm. but I sort of was a little bit more ethereal, I guess. Um, And then it turned into 80s rock. (laughs) (laughs) What? You know, that's making a comeback. Maybe you should re-release the album. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Not just yet. I'm, I'm, I'm on, a, I'm on a, a path of this album at the moment. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, good and point. I hated the cover. I just damn well hated the blessed cover of it. That <laughs> photograph of me. I mean, all pouting, pouting, and hair, and it just wasn't me. You know, it was like crikey. They, it was like I'd been airbrushed in the in the the studio backstage they just they made did all the makeup they did the hair and when i looked at myself i went oh good grief who's that you that's know? how she was when i met her <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't me it was like oh okay i think it's all right yeah yeah and it, it, really got, it got great reviews i mean the album got great reviews but um yeah, it wasn't my heart and soul, you know. I, I don't, I don't. It's not very often funny, I play funny, an album. Funny and go, enough, yeah, that, that album's actually very popular in South America for some reason. It's wow. A, yeah, you can see all the statistics oh, yeah. that you get on the air tonight. And stuff. Yeah, on the air tonight. And hungry night yeah. always gets played. Three or four of those songs from that album are still being played in Brazil and uh, where else was it? Did I see it in Chile and oh, Paraguay yeah. or something? Yeah. Just generally, wow. South America loves that. That is awesome. <laughs> Man, it's like I'm, I'm trying to become the, the biggest podcast in Croatia, but I'm, I'm like not quite there yet. Okay, so. we'll play for you in the moon and you might get there. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Can we just stick with the new album? <laughs> the Bob Bullock album, that's the one I love. Actually, a couple of years ago, we threw in the title track for you in the moon. We did it on the, in our live set. We did a bit of a reworking of it. Do you know, I don't mind doing that, actually. Maybe oh, we'll put that so back yeah. in. Yeah. That is awesome. So, Peter, yeah. how did how did you get into it professionally? Well, I I, I started playing for about thirteen, probably. He's still waiting, actually. <laughs> and then I retired. I retired when I was about sixteen. <laughs> whenever I... He's hoping this is the time. He's going to be professional. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> By the age of about sixteen, I realised that you, guitars would attract women and beer. So, so I gave up the guitar. <laughs> and, uh, in about five years of women, beer, and motorbikes, and then uh, then fell into the guitar again. Wow! I was, uh, and just got it. Some bands asked me to, and then somebody left and said, "Oh, Pete, are you still oh, yeah, all right?" And so I moved to London by this stage at about twenty-one years old. And at the area I moved to was incredibly musical. It was a place called Maida Vale in London, and okay. everybody, everybody in every street was it was members of Yes. Barclay James Harvest, ACDC, a load of glam bands from the British yeah, scene, Mud Street, uh, Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols, uh, Andy from the Pet Mode lived next door, Frankie Miller. It's, it was just ridiculous. Everybody, was, Ozzy Osbourne had the house opposite. It was wow. incredible. So you go to this bar and you would, uh, you just, 
meet people or and plus as well as as well as the artists the place was full of crew guys as well so i shared a flat with uh, a guy that uh, toby who had just done the uh, sign for uh, the 90125 yes tour so oh, he'd, wow. he'd bring he'd have the Sony walkman with uh, like two headphone sockets and we'd we'd go to bed at night after being at the bar listening to the the, the live concert from 90125 oh wow and then all that that crew and stuff. So we, we were always it's pretty happening. We, we were always like either in a band or doing a gig or hanging out with people. Or if you weren't playing, you would get get to go off on a tour and help some other band for a little tour or something. And so it was always a revolved around that. It was quite a it's quite a hood. That sounds fascinating. Oh man, sounds like a blast. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a blast, I think. <laughs> Now, there's quite a gap between uh, For You and the Moon and the old Hyde. What was going on in that time frame? Because that's what, like 16 years or so between albums? I got caught up a little bit in um, in record company politics. It was probably 10 years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 10 years. It was, it was like... Well, I, actually, sorry, you were right, 16 years. But, but by 10 years' time, we'd started to make the old Hyde and we'd started the band up again yeah. and stuff. So. Yeah, and there was one single that came out in 95, I think, right? Yeah. Perfect, Perfect World. World. Perfect World, yeah. yeah. It was just, I was caught up in it a bit. I couldn't, I was contractually tied up and wow. there was a few things. Then the company disappeared. Um, Career Records went into administration, I think, and it was all messy. It was just messy. Yeah. And so... Um, there wasn't really much I could do, and I couldn't really go. There'd, be, there'd been a couple of record offers with that. Uh, was it Geffen? I think. Yeah. And then it was, uh, and, then, and then they found out that they were still tied to the was, old career contract. So, so well, it was, it was so more that was, the, all the music was tied up, and so you know nobody wanted to go down that road of trying to get all. It was a real mess. It was wow. just a mess, and it, it was my own fault for you know in the beginning thinking oh, I'm going to do this myself and. Uh, if I'd have had, if I'd have gone to you know the right people in the beginning, I probably wouldn't have signed all that. But anyway, I did, and it was a mess. Yeah. So um, it was okay. Well, you know, when I, when the realization was that I really wasn't going to get another record deal, um, I thought I've got to try and figure this out myself. And I just started working in the industry. Okay. As a group, and worked for lots of uh, different record companies in different um, you know departments. And I ended up in the uh, working for a great guy, Fran Neverkler. But uh, he was at Warner Brothers at the time, and he was uh, doing all the uh, contracts for a lot of the big artists. And okay. so I would be working on those contracts, and I learned a lot about contracts then. And that's when I was able to revisit everything and get myself out. It took a long time. It took a long time. It took a long time for me to learn it. And it was a natural, it was, but you know, it, it, it wasn't bad. It was a great thing for me. I, it was cathartic. You know, I, I, I grew because I had to get out there and, and dig deep in there. You know, I had, to, I had to make a living and all of a sudden things were falling apart. And, and when your back's against the wall, you've got to come out and you've got to fight, you know, and, and it, it, it made me grow up really quickly wow. because seriously, I did come into this business with rose colored glasses. You know, I was so naive. I just thought, cause all I'd ever known was John turning up with, you know, another album that had gone to number one. And I just thought, okay, you become a musician, you make an album, it goes to number one. That's yeah. how naive I was. Wow. And, you know, 
it's anything but that, you know, <laughs> anything but that. And um, so I had to, I had to wise up. Yeah. And I think if things had taken off for me with View in the Moon, I don't think it would have been a good outcome for me in the end. I think the whole thing about it all falling apart and having to get out there and work and having to to pay my dues and learn the industry, I think was probably one of the best things that could have ever happened for me. So, um, yeah, I don't look back and think, oh, oh, what a shame or oh, how bad that was. No, I think it was great. So I took that time to learn and then we did the album and uh, we, we managed to get some money together and we made the old high, didn't we? Yeah. Before that, we went on tour with, I'd already written the album, but we went on tour with my nephew Jason in, in America. We were opening up for him, weren't we? Yeah, we did, did about 22 dates. Start, started off 97 or 96. And we started off at the House of Blues in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a fabulous introduction to to, to American touring because it was a lo- lovely, lovely venue and stuff. And okay. then... Uh, and he had uh, Slash guest, guesting on guitar as well. So, oh. so we got the, it was a good, great old hangout and the Counting Crows turned up and stuff. So it was, a, oh, it was, wow. it was quite, a, quite a sort of glamorous introduction for us into like the, the American way and a big party afterwards. And Terry Reid was there, great singer. Oh, I love Terry Reid. He became a great friend of ours. And, uh, and I remember that the manager saying to us, that was the first date, first date of this tour, the manager said, about two, two in the morning, he says, oh, come on, you guys, you've got to get you into the, the bus. We've got to drive overnight to the next show. And we're like, oh, okay, God, we've had a great time. Go, 22 of these. Can't wait. Uh, we woke up in Reno, Nevada. Oh, my with, Lord. With, with chicken wire in front of the <laughs> stage. Oh. oh, the old Bob's Country <laughs> Bunker. Yeah, so it was, yeah, it was all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> No, it wasn't. It was still great, you know. But what we were doing, we were doing the songs off the old Hyde album because we'd just written them. Yeah. We hadn't exactly made the album. We hadn't made it then, but they'd been written. So we were doing these songs. They were going down a storm, really were going down a storm. And eventually um, there was a couple of uh, record labels there, wasn't there? Well, Sony. Sony was there. And uh, they saw the crowd going mad and, and we had some little made up discs you know uh just that we could sell on the tour and there was yeah. queues and queues of people and we thought we've cracked it we've cracked this so we're going to get this deal and um and we saw that we saw the facsimile that the uh the sony uh rep had sent to the office you know on sony headed paper and it says it says never never mind sister of john bonham she sounds more like the sister of steve marriott or paul rogers God, wow. I forgot about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. still got that somewhere. Said, Never mind John Bonham. She sounds more like yeah, a sister of Paul Rogers and Steve Barrett. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's a pretty cool comparison. Well, it was. I remember. So we thought, yeah, okay, this is this is going to work, you know. And then they said, you know, we'd like to meet you. Uh, let's have a, a talk about this. We ended up in Los Angeles again, and um, we met up at this at Beverly Hills Hotel somewhere. And I'm thinking... Great, great, all the new songs, you know, we're going to make this new album. And they sat there and went, now, what we think is that we want you to do a, a Lady Sings the Blues type of album, covers of Billie Holiday and this, that and the other. And I remember somebody saying, because you know Spring Chicken or something. I mean, that was 30 years ago. God help me now. You oh, know? 
<laughs> 25 years ago. Damn. So, back, back then, once you were over 30, you were old and on the yeah, shelf. Yeah, I then. was only about, yeah, yeah. about. Nobody realized that you'd still be sort of touring and rocking at 70 no. years old. Well, like I'm not 70. <laughs> yeah, but we, that, that shows we've got, we've got 30 what years to go. What was like? That was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but everybody else is out there in their 70s. You won't be if you carry on at this yeah. rate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, they just said, well, you know, there's a thing that, you know, we we obviously saw you and we love what, you, what you've done, but we've got to figure out how we're going to sell you, you know. Mm-hmm. And we think we should do this album. And I'm just sitting there. I was floored because I've just seen our music really resonate with people and so i just went no 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 we're still in touch with those two people those two people were uh, uh, friends of john lappin who who got you on the uh, <laughs> a great people yeah. like, but wow. i saw why they said it but you know so they're sort of um you but know 25 years on we're doing the covers album no. yeah because we're yeah. Ready. yeah but that's ready so it's it's, it's almost like you know <laughs> 20, 25 years later they're all sitting there going Told you so. Yeah. I know. It's, it's going down your own path. You have to go your own path. But the funny part was when they're sitting there saying all of this and they really think that this is going to be, you know, this is going to be great. They, they're talking about Grammy Awards and this. Oh, we going to have a Grammy and we'll get this. And Pete's sitting there going, yeah, this is great. I don't care what we do. This sounds great. And yeah. I'm going, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. He went, hold on a minute. I'm just going to take her outside and yeah. talk to her. She said something about she said something about uh, getting the, I don't know, was it folk? Something about the folk off? Uh, then, <laughs> yeah. So he, he looked at the door and he's going, what's the matter with you? Why won't you do what you want to do this? They really want to put money in there. And I'm going, because I don't want to. It's, it's, I can't, at that point in my life, I could never have done justice to Billie Holiday. I just uh-huh. couldn't. I hadn't had enough pain at that point. You know, yeah. the 31 years I was, I was willing to inflict it. <laughs> yeah, years I've been since. I'm ready to do now that. You're ready. Now you're ready. Yeah, I've got it now. <laughs> but then I didn't have it. And so I just said, you know, I, I, I can't do it. I, I can't do Billy Holiday justice. I can't do Etta James justice. Not now. Yeah. And I've written this stuff. I've got to, I've got to do this. And so off I went down that path again and dragged him with me, <laughs> kicking and shouting. You know, he was like, "No, you were making a mistake. Of course you can sing it. Of course you can." No, and it's got it. It has to. That's what I know. If you before, gonna, before if you, those little sort of uh, initials came out, it was it was, it was more like FFS. Well, yes, you just say. <laughs> the thing is, what, I, what yeah. I know about music: if you're going to convince somebody else then you've got to be convinced of it yourself. Oh, yeah. So there's no halfway, there's no halfway house here. I couldn't just get up. And if, if I sang a Billie Holiday song, which I could probably do my own interpretation of it now, but back then, I would have, I would have cringed. I would have cringed at what I would have done because it wouldn't have been respectful enough for her. Uh, you know, if you're going to take these people on, to me, it's, it's immensely important that you, you pay the right respect and you've got to believe it yourself that you've done the best possible version. And I knew I couldn't do that. Right. So if I can't convince myself, how am I going to convince anybody else? You know, that, that was sense. what I That's what I thought. And whether that was probably one of the biggest mistakes I made as far as everybody else was concerned, 
it wasn't as far as I was concerned. Okay. So um, off we went with the old hide. <laughs> well, and, and, and everybody else in the industry continued having a shallow relationship with their music and playing shit that they don't I, believe in. Uh, but I can't do that. <laughs> but I can't do that. I just can't. I just can't do it. It's not in me. Not us. We had to believe in it. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, integrity. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. I'm integrity. Afraid, uh, I'm afraid yeah. I can't pay my bills with integrity. Yeah. And I just can't, even as much as he wanted me to shake it off, I just couldn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But so you've got old hide. And the old hide, it stands on the hill. And the love. Duchess, Spirit have all come out, and you've got some amazing people on these albums. In you know, you've got Peter, but you've also got Robbie Blunt, Doug Boyle, Robbie McIntosh, Mick Fleetwood's on a song. Uh, one of my favorite people on the planet, BJ Cole. He's been on oh, the. Oh, yeah. He's on the, he's new, on the album. new album. Oh, that is awesome. That yeah, is... he's a big friend. I think he's been on the. He's he's, he's on the been Spirit on... album as well. So he's on three of our he's... albums so far. Wow. Yeah, three albums, BJ. He's just... And I think BJ got brought in possibly by Jerry Shirley, who was, you know, a humble pie drummer, and yeah. he's on the Duchess album with us. Yeah. Jerry was in our live touring band for about seven years as well. Okay. And yeah. uh, I think it might have been his idea to get BJ in because BJ Cole played on early Humble Pie albums as well. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, uh, well, we've done a Humble Pie cover on the old hide, Black Coffee. we got involved with Jerry Shirley. Um, we, did, we didn't know him then. He had heard that yeah, version. Jason so, played drums on the whole of that really? album. Which was Mick Fleetwood. So that's why Jerry Shirley wanted to meet us because he loved Debbie's version of Marriott doing a Black Coffee. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, of course I was right to not do that blues yeah. album. Look what happened. Exactly. They are blues albums. They're just they're just, they're just blues rock albums that we wrote. No, you know exactly. you know what I mean. Yeah. It's right not to do that because look what happened. The old Hyde Duchess. Uh, that's what when yeah. we got involved with Paul Rogers, and he did a, a oh, duet with me. And I'll and, tell you who else is on the dick uh, on the uh, the Duchess album is. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, 
That came out. Right. You did. I can't name that because it's. Like, <laughs> did what? you just say? What did you think I said? I, said? I thought you just said. I'll tell you who else is on the dick. I, that's what I thought he said too. <laughs> well, now it comes the name. <laughs> I'm not going to say it now in the same sentence because. Is he a dick? I'm your dick. I'm the, I can't say it now because it sounds so disrespectful to the guy. He's a legend. I'm like, oh, no. We'll have to talk about something else, and I need to come back to this. <laughs> okay, okay, we'll, we'll do that. How about so? <laughs> I can't stop. That. I can't stop. That. So, how did you? So, I'm having so much trouble with it oh. all. Right, so, so let, let's let's get Paul Rogers into this conversation at the moment where we start. Let, let's yeah. get past Dick and talk about Paul Rogers. <laughs> so, how did you guys meet up with Paul and get him involved in the album? <laughs> God, <laughs> I can't talk, oh, and you'll be glad about that. You know, he's writing me notes here, putting lots of Zs, like he's going off to sleep because he's so bored with my story. <laughs> oh man, what's that? That doesn't say much about my hosting abilities. Oh dear! <laughs> you see, he needs some caffeine to keep up. <laughs> what? He's not getting your words out right, Pete. Oh, anyway, talk about... oh, Paul Rogers. Yeah, because yeah. I know, Peter, you're a big fan of, of Free and Bad Company. So did you know him before you started working on Duchess? Yes, we had. Uh, yeah, Duchess, I think we started working on about 2007. Yeah, we'd already done the we done. We, we did a tour with Paul in 2004. Four, yeah. Think, yeah. Oh, so okay. we were support tour in the UK with Paul Rogers. And uh, so that, that's where we first really met and we got to know him. And uh, he'd stand outside the stage and sort of watch us and sort of, he seemed to then realise there was some sort of kind of bit of a free-like swagger. And, well, I've, I've heard the you know, people sort of compare us to like the, the, the sort of the uh, British blues rock kind of swagger of humble pie, free, that kind of thing. So right. we, we've been sort of compared to that. So Paul saw it as well. So so when it came, we, we got involved in a bunch of animal charities with him as well. Debbie's always been a big uh, saviour of creatures and, uh, that's wonderful uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh and she's pointing at you man yeah yes to save me and then and uh, paul's wife cynthia big on animal charities and stuff like that so animals paul, paul, and kids we, we, we do a lot of animals so, so paul, paul and i sort of have to go along with it so we, we go to all these sanctuaries and stuff and do all these things for raising funds for all these uh charities and stuff and uh debbie and cynthia would be right in there talking to me and paul would be talking about songs and guitarists yeah. and singers. <laughs> Having a beer. Paul was also, um, you know, a big friend of my brother John's because, mm. of course, you know, they, they signed to, Bad Company signed to Swan Song as well. Yeah. So, but I fleetingly saw him at, at, at the farm when I was very young, but I never, ever met him, you know. Okay. So, 2004, we didn't even meet him for the first three shows because... I don't know. We just thought we'd better stay out of the way. You know, we'd heard some stories. From, you know, his tour manager was a little bit, you know, and don't don't walk past his dressing room and don't, don't make, look him in the eye. Yeah, no, no eye contact. contact. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All, all that kind of wow. stuff went on. Yeah, Paul, didn't, Paul didn't know he this. He didn't know, bless him. I mean, and, and so we didn't, we just kept right out of the way. And our dressing room was next door to him, but we had to go around the whole building to get to it because oh. we weren't allowed to go past his dressing room. Oh, my God. And the third show, we were in Birmingham, 
And I had a cashmere ringtone on my phone and, and it started ringing and it was Robert Flocks, which, which made everybody hysterical. <laughs> Robert said, um, oh, you're, you're playing in the, the, there with Paul. He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to come along. So can you make sure that it's all sorted? And so he, I went and spoke to the, uh, you know, the agents and said, and whilst that, that was happening, Paul was obviously told about that, but Paul came to the side of the stage and watched us. And when I came off, he said, where have you been? You know, this is like the third night and I, you've not, we've not met you or anything. And we went, well, we just thought we better keep out the way, Paul. <laughs> and he was like, why? Why? Come on. That's like, and that was it. And we became the closest of friends. And, you know, him and his wife, beautiful people. Oh, wow. But he had got this, this guy, these guys that were sort of telling us we couldn't do. And I guess I understand why, but they didn't realize the connection, you know, yeah. that we had. But oh. it was funny. It was, it was three three nights, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. And, I mean, I still, you know, when we did the, the the Duchess album, I still didn't feel confident enough to ask him about singing on it. And I think it was Cynthia who suggested, you know, if, you, if you're doing something, Paul would come and sing with you. Well, I think that's, that's how it worked out, because I would never have had the nerve to have asked him outright myself. Oh, wow, yeah. So, and when he said, yeah, no, I'd love to do it, I was like, oh, my God, really? And we had sung together on that tour, he called me out, and that was another funny thing because he said, "He said, um, why don't you come out and sing? Come and sing, can't get enough with me." Oh, no. Because when that first came out, um, John, uh, it was on top of the pops. We have a program. We had a program in the UK called Top of the Pops, mm -hmm. and, and Bad Couple were on there playing that. And John was so proud of them, you know, because they were signing to Swan Song. We all sat around the TV and watched this, you know. So yeah. I've got very fond memories of uh, John and Bad Company. And I told Paul this. And so uh, during the tour, he's coming towards the end of the tour, he said, you know, why don't you come out? And I've been watching you, you know, I really want you to come and sing with me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, really? And um, so he said, yeah, why don't you come and sing Can't Get Enough with me? And I was like, oh! so his hands shaking, absolutely, uh, absolutely over the moon. Wow. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going start, to start the song. And I want you to walk out. I'm going to sing the first bit. And then you're going to walk out. And I'm going to go, ladies and gentlemen, Deborah Bonham. And you're going to sing the next verse. And I thought, okay. That's great, except I'm such a klutz sometimes. When I'm, so I'm backstage, I'm thinking I've got to walk. I'm trying to be all cool, and I just can't do that. You know? She's got, she's got her band lined up. She's practicing the walk. I'm practicing. The she's walk. not practicing the singing. No, <laughs> the singing's fine. That's 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 second nature. Yeah, she's not worried about that at all. Bloody hell, the walk. It's she's the walking. Getting, she's getting. Walking performance anxiety. I did. I got horrible walking performance anxiety. I was convinced I was going to trip up. I couldn't. I figured. I was trying to figure out how I hold the mic. Paul Rogers. I mean, let's let's put this out there. You've seen him. He's as cool as cool as cool. Oh yeah. He stands on that stage. He throws that mic up. If I did that, well, I did it because I, when the guys were. Um, doing the free spirit stuff, I was rehearsing them. So I was doing all Paul's parts well, over here in the UK. And um, it's, it's just doing all Paul's parts. Well, you know, not doing all 
Let's it. not get back to that. This is, this is Sunday morning, clean podcast TV, let me tell you. Um, so I was playing the part of Paul Rogers, put it that way. And I did try and throw the, the mic stand up and it landed on the drummer. So, you oh. know, it wasn't... I, I can't do this stuff, you know. And he's so cool, you know, he just does it. And I'm like, oh. So... Um, I'm desperately trying to figure out how I'm going to walk out on stage, you know, with him. And so they're all laughing backstage. And even Paul noticed it. He's going, what's she doing? <laughs> and I'm going up and down back of the stage going, yeah, I'm going to walk out like this. No, I'm going to walk out like this. And I ended up going, ended up just like trotting out like a little pony with my microphone and oh. <laughs> but at least I got the singing right. So it was, it was good. Oh my so, gosh. I know. So we had sung together. Um, and so, yeah, when he came and sang on The Duchess, it was fantastic. And Jason played the drums on that one as well. Yeah. That was another story. He was rehearsing with Zeppelin. He was rehearsing time. with Zeppelin for the O2 reunion. So they, they were having these secret rehearsals. So I, I'd have to go to this secret location to pick Jason up at night. Yeah, but it was a secret that he was coming and recording with us as well. Best time thing ever. He's like, going, oh. Uncle Pete's going to be here in seven, you know, can you guys hurry up? No, no, yeah, Yo, Jimmy, Robert, Pete, Pete will be glad if I'm there. Yeah, can we pick up the tempo a little bit? Oh, my God. So they know they didn't know that he was coming out and like, wow. doing this with us. Yeah. It was great. So I, I just turned up and Jimmy and Robert come over, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just shooting the piece. I just got to pick up my nephew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that worked perfectly because Jason had played with Paul before as well. Yeah. So Jason was um, on the drums and uh, Paul and I did the, the vocals, which was, you know, a big, a big moment when, you, when you're playing and singing with somebody like that who's one of your, your peers, you know, yeah. is as great. It's almost like a little bit of validation that you think, Okay, we must be okay if, if people like this will play with us. Well, know. not only play, I mean, you guys became his backing band for the Free Spirit Tour. So, I mean, that's yeah. that's complete validation right there. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Pete was amazing with that. The whole band were. Well, funny, so, somebody, uh, somebody just sent me this today, funny enough, and it's a little quote from Paul from, it says, Rogers tells ABC Radio that revisiting the free material was a joy, noting I rediscovered how I so much enjoyed these songs played with the right band who understand how to hit it just right. So that was us. That <laughs> is awesome. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. He gives us all the name. That is. Stuff. So, so, so he's still talking about it today. It, it really was a good tourist. We did the UK tour, which it was. finished at the Royal Albert Hall. It was with, brilliant. With it, and they filmed and recorded that. and everything and it hit the billboard charts at number two so wow. it did, did and that was quarter valley records that did that that's how we met quarter valley records who then yeah. signed us to do the bonham bullock album yeah so 
So, and then we went on to America and did the tour there as well. So the new album. Let's eventually hit on that. It's been, it's been an hour. Let's, let's, let's start talking about the new album. <laughs> but oh, yeah. on the Duchess album, there was another great guest called uh, Dick Parry. We were trying to say Harry. That's all connected. It's not connected to earlier at all. It is uh, not. No. Dick Perry was amazing. He was, uh, with... Have you heard of Dick Perry? He's a saxophone player. Pink on Floyd. Pink Floyd. With Pink oh, Floyd. okay. And he, uh, he's certainly on Dark Side of the Moon and other albums as well. That's all Dick Perry's playing. And Dick Perry, he doesn't play with anyone. He's very reclusive even back then. He's totally reclusive now, but wow. even back then. And uh, Jerry Shirley, the drummer from Humble Pie, who was playing with us, he was a great friend of Dick Parry's uh, because Jerry also played with Sid Barrett and stuff like that. So. Oh, wow. So he called Dick Parry to see if he'd do it. So we were really honoured that Dick Parry came well, out and joined absolutely. our album, played a bit of sax on it. So that was, that was a fantastic guest. Well done for getting mentioned. back to that. That's yeah. deserved Excellent, it, but... excellent callback. Well, kind of. And then in 2016, you actually did kind of re-release for you in the moon as looking back at the moon looking back at the moon yeah that that's um it had a, some of the the songs off for you in the moon and okay. some songs that never ever made any album not for any other reason other than it just didn't it, it didn't happen it, it was know? it was it was demos and that I like made, those songs. it was demos we'd made in the uh, uh 90s okay so we put together with uh, for you in the moon i think there's probably six was was there was there eight eight songs on for you in the moon? I think was there eight or uh, nine songs. I think we was, probably we probably left two off. So there's like seven it, of the for you in the moon songs. It was on, really just done, and then five of the nineties, five or six of the nineties songs that oh. we had done. So which, which tied it into kind of an eighties blues rock kind of we did album it, vibe. So. But we did it mainly because when we were playing live, we do a couple of these songs that no one could ever buy. And people used to keep saying, oh, you know, how do we get hold of that? How do we get hold of that? And so it was really for us to to sell live, that one. It okay. was just, um, you know, so people could get this, this, this song, especially a song called Heaven that uh, everybody seemed to love. So, um, yeah, so that's why we did that. Okay. How did the idea for doing an album of interpretations come about for the new album? It really was the fact that we were talking with Quarto Valley Records and the whole idea was to, they were going to re-release all the other albums, especially Spirit, um, through the, you know, the label. We were talking to Bruce Quarto, who's the, the, the head there, whose birthday it was yesterday, so I have to give him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Bruce. Shout out to Bruce, because <laughs> they've been fantastic with us. Him and Mike Carden, who's his uh, label's operation labeled operation director and Nina Miller. They've been great. And uh, but they were gonna just put out the spirit album. Words mean nothing to me, nothing to me. I'm gonna set myself free. I'm gonna And I just thought, you know what, this is so much, it's always been a band, but it was even more galvanised as a band after 
after the Free Spirit and uh, the, the American Stars Align tour, you know, they really are too special and too good just to be, you know, lumped in the Deborah Bonham band. It's, and we've always stuck with that because after, you know, through all the years, it's just been Deborah Bonham band. Yeah. But I've always wanted to have a band name. I've, I've always wanted it to be a band name. And so after that, I said to Bruce and Mike, listen, I, I really want to do a new project. I don't want to just regurgitate the other stuff, you know. Okay. It, it feels like we need a new project and a band. And it felt the right time now to do that interpretations of, of, of the old blues songs. It felt the right time. And I said, let's do this. And they thought it was a great idea. And we changed the name to Bon and Bullock. And that's how it uh, that's how it came around, really, isn't it? The songs span like seven decades. Yeah. How, how did you guys choose this song? I mean, how, was it intentionally to go through that big span of time? Started off with about a hundred songs, probably, uh, because we had, we had lots of people contributing ideas. So we had uh, a guy who was uh, helping manage us at the time, Gary Nesbitt. He contributed a lot of the songs. Roy Williams, who's a great friend of ours, who was uh, he helped us with the John Bonham Memorial statue. He was Robert Plant's sound engineer, Roy. Oh, okay. Sadly died years ago, right at the beginning of uh, the pandemic and all that. So uh, cancer got him. But uh, he contributed a lot and recommended a lot of songs. Robert Plant recommended a bunch. Debbie recommended a bunch. And so we ended up with a mass of at least 100 songs. Wow. Oh, and Marco, the, one of the, the drummers on the album, Marco Giovino, he contributed a few as well. So Debbie eventually whittled it down to 13 songs. So it was just random that they spanned seven decades. Well, that, it, wasn't, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't random. It no, you, you didn't choose them because of the era. You chose the songs because... Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, so, uh, but, but saying that, I really just didn't want to do an album of all the old classics that everybody's done. And, and right. you know, there's some versions out there. I didn't want to do that. I really wanted to have something contemporary on there as well and a little bit obscure. So I was looking for that. Okay. The fact that found it, yes, is is random. I wouldn't have just picked it because it was contemporary and I wouldn't have picked it just for that. The song resonated. So yeah, things like Mark Lanigan, who was the singer with the Screaming Trees. Oh yeah. Was I, a song. I love Mark Lanigan. He, I actually got to know yeah. him over the past couple of years. He's, he was on the podcast. Yeah. We kind of stayed in touch. Yeah. Oh, Craggy. We, we never I, spoke to him. We had... We had hope to meet him. Well, we wanted him, we wanted to get the uh, version of Bleeding Muddy Water to him, you know. sadly passed away and it was three three four weeks ago that was quite a yeah so, that was a shock yeah and uh, that was very 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 sad yeah and more talent and so bleeding muddy water and that was off his blues funeral album yeah I, it, it, to me it's a pivotal moment on the the new album i absolutely love bleeding muddy water and it was it, it was a challenge to find our way to do it uh, but I knew from when I first heard it that 
I, I thought that we could do a version and bring our personality and our heart and soul to it, you know. And for me, on, on the whole album, I mean, there's a, a few moments on the album where I think, yeah, like Trouble Blues, the Sam Cooke song, that's a big a moment for me on the, on the new album. You've just picked but, my two favourite songs off the album. So many days Since you went away I often think of you Night and day But I know that someday there you go. Well, they're the two. They're the, you know, they really, for me, they're the ones that make me go <gasps> like this. You know, well, it comes because through for sure. Bleeding muddy water. It just. I, I listen to it, and every time I listen to it, I just think, yeah, you know, it was. It was a moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you. I also love when it don't come easy, and the changing. Uh, oh yeah, Peter, you're the, the solo on the changeling. It's just. That solo is just so beautiful. follow uh, BJ Cole starts off with BJ Cole doing a pedal steel yeah and then I, I, I sort of came in I, I think I sort of basically repeated some of BJ's melody that he made up in that cell and then then expanded on that the pair yeah. of the pair of the pair of the credit you, you really did do a beautiful solo yeah I, I like to be able to hum a tune you know and yeah. it's like and uh and you know, and BJ so melodic as well, and it was, uh, yeah, it yeah, was, it was, it was love, and, and it was special because it's a very special song that as well. Bit, bit like he's, oh, he's almost like a Mark Lanigan character as well, Chris Wilson. He's, he's a tragic character as well. That died a couple, of, yeah. So it's, it's, it's they're, they're very, but it's just quite a responsibility to, to do their songs huge. and be huge, and and be up most respectful and bring, to them and and. and and mean something and mean to, it, to have yeah. what you've yeah, done yeah, yeah. to to mean to mean something afterwards is uh, yeah you know, ra- rather than you know when, to, when, just picking up the paycheck or what what's that expression phoning it in phoning it something. in yeah yeah this album definitely wasn't any of that whereas a lot a lot of uh, covers albums are they phone it in don't they they get a yeah they get a karaoke backing track and sing over it and it's like uh, yeah so no point. We, we, we spent more time and more pain and more effort on this probably than our own songs. And when, when, <laughs> when we, we eventually finished the mixing, we were sat here uh, around this table and our friend who's actually sat outside at the moment who's staying the weekend. And there was a few friends and we put on the album. But when it got to the end and the end of The Changeling, which is the last track on the album... Tears were streaming down my face. Oh. And I'd forgotten that this was us, that this album was us. Wow. I was just listening to it thinking, you know, it really, it really, it was very, very emotional, wasn't it? 
um, because it is other people's songs. It is their babies. It is, um, you know, it, we had to pay that respect. And um, I think we got there. And I know that the fact that if I can sit there and get emotional listening back, then that's it. That's the moment. And I think, yeah, okay, we've done the job. You, you've done because the job. Because if I don't get that, if I don't feel that, it's a waste of time. Yeah, you've done the job of, of paying respect to the artist, but also making the songs your own. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. And it definitely, yeah. it moved me. And um, when I played it all back and we sat here, it moved everybody around the table. I looked around and our friend was, tears was, <laughs> you know, in his face. And our other friend, he was getting all emotional. And we were, we were just listening to it. And I thought, yeah, we've done this. Were there any tracks on the album that kind of surprised you when you did it? Like either how it came out compared to the original or maybe, you know. How- Trouble Blue. Okay. Trouble Blues. I mean, that's completely, completely different. When, when we were in the studio, we started doing it and it was, it just wasn't working for me. You know, I, I stood there and I was like, yeah, you, when you take on a Sam Cooke song, which was, was, was me, I chose this. I picked out, I wanted to do Sam Cooke. Mm-hmm. Goodness knows why, because I knew that this was going to be the biggest, biggest. I was going <laughs> to walk around in all up tight, you know, because it's Sam Cooke, you know. Yeah. And we started doing it, and I just thought, ah, nah, no, 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 this isn't working. And I thought, stick with it, Deb. See if see if there's another way that you we bring the band to it. So we I got everybody to stop playing, and I just said to the drummer Marco Giovino, who's amazing drummer, you know, played with Band of Joy, Emmylou Harris, Nora Jones, just really, really great drummer. And I said, just can you? Just me and you. Just play a straight drum, straight four-four drum beat, uh, slow, and let me sing it a cappella. And as soon as I did it, I looked at the band, and they were all—they were down in the studio part, and I was singing through the, the glass on the microphone. Mm-hmm. And I just saw them all go, "Yes, you know, <laughs> that's it," and it worked. And so that was the basis of then. Pete doing his real haunting guitar at the at the front end of it, and it just it just you know grew. I think that that was the one that was possibly gonna. I thought it was going to be the most difficult, and it turned out to be the biggest <clears throat> difference to the original. But it's 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 a great difference. Yeah, yeah, it is. And on an album where you're doing other people's songs, how is it difficult to sequence? Because you haven't written them, and is, is it is it any different from trying to sequence your own album? No, I, I mean I'm used to writing set lists and sequencing. It took me a while to sequence it, but I think you've got to have like an, in a set list when we're on stage, isn't it? You've got to have light and shade. Yeah. You can't have it all being low and you know flat or everything in the same key. The first four or five tracks, you, you've got to move it so then that they segue. And I was listening to an interview with um, Peter Gabriel about how he sequenced um, the So album. Okay. And literally he just kept going from the back of one end, back of one song and the front of another and piecing them together to see how they went into each other. And it's exactly what we did, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Paul Rogers, you know. Paul Rogers would do that as well with a set list. Yeah. He'd, he'd spend a, a lot of time You've doing, really got doing the back end of one song and the start of the next to see how the, you know, it's key. But... Same with Robert. You know, I was talking to Robert Plant about yeah. that, 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 you know, how a set list yeah. works. A lot of thought goes into that. You, you really have to 
you know, you've got to keep the audience there and yeah. you need to move move the set list so that you have high points and, and low yeah. points because you don't want it all in your face all the time. And right. yeah, no, it's, it's funny enough with Led Zeppelin, the, the uh, rock and roll of uh, set four, that song, you'd think that would normally be somebody's encore, wouldn't you? Yeah. And the Zeppelin were amazing. They opened up with that song, didn't they? Yeah. That a, That's true. They opened up with that. So from from the get go, it was like, oh, yep. yeah, but the bell. Drop, yeah. But then they drop it down to yeah, the, rain, yeah, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. rain song or no quarter. Yeah. So you have this up there, then you drop down, and then you go back up, and it's a it's a musical journey, you know, for the for the audience. So it's yeah, it is very important. Yeah, you don't want things to be a transition to be too jarring. So no, exactly. So and this is the first time that you've produced the, an entire album, right, Deborah? Yeah. So yeah. how did that come um, about? Because I wanted to. Okay, <laughs> easy enough. I, I, I think I better go and have a little lie down whilst you answer this. I come back. Where's he disappearing to? I think that where's he gone? He actually did he's leave. Gone. He's he's gone. He's he just walked in the back room. This is what I have to put up with. That's what he did on the album, you see. He kept getting up and going, can I go to the pub now? Have I finished? <laughs> <laughs> he's come to plug our, he's about to plug us in because we're about to lose the connection. That's oh, what. no. I'm keeping you guys forever. I'm sorry about that. Um, production, yeah. I mean, it just got to that point, you know. I, I, as a band, we know each other inside out. And, I just know exactly what where they where they can go, the height that they can take it. Yeah, and I don't think anybody else knows that really, and unless you've really played with the guys for all these years and the band, we've all been together as a band for a long, long time. And they brought that, you know, it wasn't me solely. I didn't tell them what to do, as in the parts and everything. I nurture them. I I had to learn diplomacy, which was very interesting. That, I've gone and broken that bloody string. I've, oh, I've had that. I've had that since new. <laughs> and it's a very kid. You, you just are not interested in this production business. <laughs> just yet another moment in my life where she gets to tell me what to do. <laughs> I didn't. But it's about bringing the best out of so I learned that. You know, there were times where I just thought, can you just shut up and play the chord? Just play the chord. But I didn't say that. You know, I just said, maybe you could just go a little bit better. <laughs> and came back and just went yeah and uh, played it you know so yeah it was Rich, just the Rich, right time Richie Blackmore played one of his best guitar solos when he was in a filthy mood and hated everybody did, wouldn't that happen that. quite often in his bands though <laughs> didn't he hate yeah. everybody a lot <laughs> yeah absolutely. It's, it's a guitar yeah. solo in a song called Hold On on uh, the Stormbringer album oh, okay I don't, I don't, yeah, check your silhouette there. I will. I, will. I, I, I don't think our band is quite like that. But anyway, <laughs> it, um, it made sense to do to do this. It, it, I, I just didn't want to bring anybody else in. I just thought, no, as much as it's been great working with other people, they bring their own thing. You, you've got their baggage with it as well and all of their ideas. And sometimes that can be great. But when you know where you want to go with something, it's we're at that stage now, you know, yeah. so it just made sense for me to do it. And it, it was hard work. It was much harder than I thought it was going to be. And it was a massive challenge, Yeah. but actually I loved it. And um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd do it all, all day long going forward. And then you brought up Peter Gabriel. You did send it to, to his place to have it mixed and mastered though. And I yeah. Think um, 
I think Robert mentioned that, didn't he, Robert Plant? He did, he did. See, the problem that had happened, we were, we'd recorded it and everything was sounding fantastic, but the mixes just weren't doing it for me. Okay. I needed, I wanted this um, space around every instrument and I wanted it all to breathe. I didn't want it all squashed <clears throat> up and sounding, you know, compressed almost, all of that. Yeah. And um, I, I was playing it to Robert and I just said, yeah, I really, I, I'm just not happy with the mixes. I, I, I need to find somebody. And he instantly recommended Tim Oliver at um, Peter Gabriel's Real World. Okay. And they don't, he said, you know, they don't, they don't just take anyone. They're, they're very choosy about what they take, but give them a call because I think he'll love it. Wow. And I rang Tim and we sent it to Tim and he said, yeah, I would really love to do it. And I was so thrilled. Oh, that's fantastic. Instantly. We had to do it remotely because um, for the pandemic, you know, so I couldn't, Pete and I couldn't go there um, for the first lot. So we sent it to him. He did it, sent it back. And I felt at one point, I felt I was the most pickiest, you know, because I was going back saying, can you, do, you know, that hi-hat there? Can you, and can we have just that down a bit? And he, he tolerated me so well. Honestly, he was brilliant <laughs> with me. You know, he was never condescending to me, never disagreed. He was just great. And then he brought this, his amazing talent to it. And we played it when it, we eventually then got a day that we could go to real world. The restrictions were lifted somewhat. And so Pete and I went down there. It was fantastic, wasn't it? It really was great. And we just did the final bits and then it came back and we sat around the table and, and, and I, I honestly, he just did it exactly how I heard it, which was just fantastic. So yeah, Tim Oliver, what a talent. That is awesome. Now, I've, I've seen some UK tour dates for you guys. Is there any plans to maybe take this over to the States at some point? Oh, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully we'll be back in the States. Uh, it's probably looking more like spring next year, okay. if, if not the end of this year. Uh, yeah. But um, Can we go in the fall, please? It would be, it'd be nice, yeah. But the minute we're between agents, as they say. So <laughs> yeah, we actually need an agent out in America. That's what we want. We want somebody to bring us out there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because we did the, the 2018 Stars Align, then we came back in 2019, played the cutting room in New York, Daryl Hall's place upstate, and yeah. um, Levon Helms. Wow. Up in Woodstock which was fantastic. So, and then the idea was that we, we, the album would come out in 2020 and we, but of course uh, the pandemic happened. So we sat back, we agreed with Quarto Valley that, you know, the best thing was just to wait. Um, you know, we'd come this far and we were so happy with the album that they wanted us to wait a bit more, right? So now the album comes out on the 29th of April and um, yeah, we really want to come out to America because it was so it was so great those you know when we came out so so we're hoping that that's going to happen in the meantime we are playing the uk and we're playing uh europe as well okay france and belgium and netherlands yeah so we start at the end of this month and then we're playing right through for right up to the end of september wow that's pretty extensive Well, it's, it's, it's it, quite it a nice has, way of doing it. We, yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna out for about it's not solid. We're gonna uh, out for about three hours, then we're back home for a week or two. Oh. We're gonna go back out for each other. <laughs> it's Europe and UK, it's not like the States. That's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the next gig is an overnight drive, and you end up in Reno. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
He did, that was great, funny. he did have a great time. It was the Blues himself. Brothers, honestly, the chicken wire. I couldn't believe it. And we'd just yeah. been at the, at the, at the, and, and the House fight, of and Blues, you know, plush velvet and everything, you know. And it was the only gig where a fight broke out. Oh, of and there course. No doors in the toilets. And oh. after a long journey on a tour bus where you're not allowed to use the toilet for certain numbers. Uh, where? <laughs> when you burst into that arena, when you burst into that arena toilet and there's no door, oh. you have a joke. Didn't but didn't some punters? Yes, yes. Comes walking, that comes walking past me in the well, door. Sat on the loo. Says, hey, hi, how you doing? <laughs> you in the bed? Hey, hi, how you doing? Oh yeah. man. Uh, I, still remember, I still remember that expression. It was, hey, hi, how you doing? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you will never forget it. Triple greetings in a row. It was like, hey, hi, how you doing? Hey, hi, how you doing? Uh, it was obvious about how you uh, were doing, wasn't uh, it? Like, you were sat there. Hey, I'm, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can pass me that paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who are you here to see? Oh, oh dear. Man, did you guys play Ghost yeah. Riders in the Sky for like 30 minutes straight? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping you guys can come over to America. I'm I'm just outside DC, so I would love to see you guys. It would just be such an awesome yeah, show. Our friend, our friend DC is just outside here. Yeah, he's, <laughs> we call him DC. You're <laughs> <laughs> just outside DC, and, and DC's, DC's just, just outside, outside here. here. It's, <laughs> I, you may as well. Say hi, DC. Hello, DC from DC. <laughs> He's an Ohio boy. He's from oh, Ohio. Nice, yeah. nice. Well, I won't hold that against him, but... And his hair's gone silver, so he's a bit Ohio silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Somehow oh, I feel like I just walked into it and I don't even know it. That was a good one. Yeah. You're okay. everywhere with nowhere, baby. Jeff Beck will not speak to you again. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, no. Jeff well, Beck is quoted as saying about that song, because when we did the Stars Alliance in America with Paul Rogers and Free Spirit, and Anne Wilson was on the bill, and Jeff Beck was on the bill as well. Yeah. And then it's, it's quite a, it's quite, quite a, a package tour oh. that was. But I'd heard that he, he wouldn't do Hi-Ho Silver Lining on tour. He wouldn't play it live. Really? And I'd heard I'd heard that he had said that, um, he said that somebody asked him about uh, High Ho Silver Line, and he said, it's been like wearing a pink toilet seat round my neck all my life. Just <laughs> name he wasn't in Reno, wasn't he? He could have lent you that seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, just a pink toilet door would do me. Yeah. <laughs> and a seat, a seat in the door would have been good. <laughs> Well, this yeah, there wasn't the right seat in the house. Oh, but I'm bum tish. Yeah. So um, yeah, we'd love. Honestly, we'd love to. We'd love to see you, and it'd be great if we could uh, come and play DC. We've never been there, so that would be absolutely fantastic. Oh, a lot of great places to play. But where can people pick up the album and, and follow you guys? Is there a social media presence? Well, there's uh, the social media. There's uh, Deborah Bonham Facebook. Uh, there's the DebraBonham.com website, which has all the links to all the social medias. There's uh, has our YouTube channel and stuff like that. And the Quarter Valley Records site. Uh, so the, the record's going to be released on, on CD and all the digital platforms and streaming services. And so the single is released. 
this week, isn't it? 25th of March. Friday. Friday it comes yeah, out. Yeah, oh, this, this Friday, yeah. Can't you see what you're doing tomorrow as a single? Yeah. Uh, and then the album April 29th, which will be available everywhere. And uh, you know, the whole Bonham Bullock thing is... If you type that in, it goes straight to uh, Deborah Bonham anyway. So okay. we've linked it all up. It's just that the website and the and the, the socials have all, all always been Deborah Bonham, so we've kept it as that. And Bonham Bullock links straight away to it. Oh, perfect! I do have a Facebook, I do have a Peter Bullock Facebook page as yeah, well, you which, do, is, actually. Uh, which is usually a few a brag the old time, and then I do a bunch of stupid things as well, and I send a stick a picture up of it. So it's a yeah, but. <laughs> I'm going to follow you immediately. Once we're done here, I'm, I'm on it. Actually, his, his page is completely bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can see how rubbish I am at cooking and driving. Oh, hey, that sounds like fun. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> you've, yeah. you've got my attention now. Fantastic. And uh, hopeless DIY projects and he's always featuring... hopeless cookery projects that always involves chili sauce he's, to disguise everything. He's always featuring his ass as well, he calls it. It's our yeah. donkey, our rescued donkey. Oh. So it always features yeah. Pete's ass. <laughs> he's well known in Reno. Yeah. <laughs> See, everything's coming back to dicks and ass. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> Well, guys, I've kept you so long. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. It's been awesome talking with you. Thanks, Mark. Well, Thank who, you. Who do, we, who do we invoice for that time? Uh, John Lennon. John, John, John Lappin. <laughs> yeah. John.